Hey, so we're now at chapter 15, which is called Wait. And you probably read that title and thought this wasn't going to be very exciting. And I'm going to tell you, this may be the most important chapter in the whole book, is us learning how to wait on the Lord to accomplish our call and have power in Him. So I didn't start the chapter in the book on this, but let's talk about Moses for a minute. So Moses was a prince of Egypt. Moses, 40 years old, would have had the greatest training and education in the world at that time. Hand-to-hand -hand combat, weapons, um, the arts, history, everything. Moses was an incredibly able man at 40 years old when he went out and beat an Egyptian to death. My point is that Moses knew exactly what he was doing when he beat that man to death because he would have been so well-trained. Moses felt the call of God on his life. Moses knew there was something, and there's something really great in Moses that he was willing to risk the greatness of Egypt, the comfort of Egypt to go out and make a difference. But inside him was this yearning to accomplish the call of the Lord. And he got tired of waiting. So Moses went out and beat someone to death. And then he went out the next day to the Israelites and intercedes in their business because he's thinking they're going to now rally around me. We're going to have a revolution here. We're going to tell the Egyptians what's up and we're going to take over. And he gets roundly rejected. So Moses flees. Pharaoh goes after to kill him and Moses runs out into the desert. And what does he do? He gets to a well and he rescues some girls from some land pirates. These guys are harassing these girls. Moses goes out there and shows how physically able he is, defends the girls. They run home and tell their father Jethro, some Egyptian guy just kicked the butts of all these guys out there in the desert. And he says, well, bring him home. He does and he marries one of Jethro's daughters. And then he begins the grind of his life. Moses, for the next 40 years, becomes a shepherd. He went from the loftiest position you could be, a prince in Egypt, to a shepherd, which was the lowliest position to Egyptians. They wouldn't even associate with shepherds. Imagine that humiliation as he settled into this life now in the desert, being discipled and mentored by the great man of God, Jethro, for the sake of his wife for 40 years. And imagine... 35 years into this, his son's 30 years old, and he's saying, you know, your dad used to be quite the quite the big shot back in the day, and, and his son's like, Dad, you've just smelled like sheep my whole life. Like, I, you know, that may be true, but you sure don't look like it to me. And after 40 years of wandering around in the desert, tending to his father-in-law's sheep in the lowliest of positions, he comes across the burning bush, and God tells him, First of all, my name, as we talked about, is I am. I am. I am the present. I am not the past. I am not the future. I am the eternal now. Take your shoes off, Moses. You're on holy ground. And then God goes on for a couple of chapters about what everything the Moses at 40 years old wanted to hear. You're going to do great things. You're going to free your people. You are going to do all this. And Moses says, pick somebody else. Ah, now he's ready. Now he is where God can use him. Moses has learned 40 years of grinding humility. The error that he made in not waiting in the Lord has now been fixed because the character has been built, that God was waiting for his time on waiting on the Lord. My son Hunter was uh, bullied a lot when he was a kid. He was just a really small boy, and then puberty was really kind to Hunter, extremely kind, and Hunter big and muscular and became this this wrestler and it became like his identity and his freshman year of high school um he 
he, he broke his collarbone. He's in eighth grade. And then his freshman year of high school, he became a pretty good football player on the JV team um, of a major football powerhouse. And he was the running back last game of the season. He breaks his collarbone again. And Hunter and I had to have this quite conversation. And Hunter, and this is, I do start the book with this story, um, although I'm going to give you a little bit more than I do in the book. But um, Hunter comes to me and he's just really frustrated. I don't know why God would do this to me. I don't know why you've heard these things before and we've wondered them ourselves. Why is God letting me go through this? So as we're having this conversation, I said to Hunter, look, um, you, your coaches say that if you stick with wrestling only and give all to wrestling, then you will wrestle in college. You're good enough. But if you play football, it'll be so demanding on your time that you may not ever be able to become good enough in wrestling and you're never going to be a, a college football player, Hunter. You know, and sometimes a father has to be just candid with his sons. I, I agree there's a lot about building up your kids, but sometimes you have to be realistic. And I said, Hunter, you're, you're not going to be. Now, the starting varsity running back at that time was Christian McCaffrey. And Hunter is a spitting image to Christian McCaffrey. And those guys could be twin brothers. They're both the same. They look the same. They both have blonde hair and blue eyes. And uh, Hunter says to me, I don't understand. You know, I mean, I, I look like Christian. I... I mean, we're, we're very similar. And yet everyone says he's, you know, he's got a football scholarship at Stanford. They say he's going to play in the NFL. You know, how come I can't? I said, well, Hunter, there's this thing called genetics. And Christian has his parents' genetics. And you, unfortunately, have mine. So welcome to Slowville. And welcome to if you give yourself all the wrestling, you can be wrestling. So Hunter went through this, this, this faith crisis. If you're a, a parent of younger kids, all of us who are older can tell you that your kids will go through a faith crisis and it'll look different ways and it'll look different for all three of my kids. But for Hunter, he was like, I believe in God. I just don't think he's very nice and I'm not sure if I trust him because he's let me go through all this. I mean, I was bullied. I went through all this stuff and I finally, you know, wrestling is my thing. And now I've got this broken collarbone. He's going to miss his freshman year of high school being able to wrestle. He wanted to be a four-year state champion, all this kind of stuff. And what happened was Hunter ended up with a very godly uh, wrestling coach and he was going to a big Christian school. And so they sat next to each other all through Hunter's freshman year as he had to sit in the stands, that coach pouring wisdom into Hunter, godliness into Hunter. And Hunter came out of that with an extremely strong faith. And I remember Hunter's senior year, he went 37 and three that year in wrestling, but they had a, a, the, the state champions returning. There's another state champion that had, had come up a level who was coming back. It was an absolutely stacked division. And even though Hunter was set 37 and three, he wasn't even supposed to get out of the first round of the state finals. And, and I remember that first uh, round, he wrestled one of the top wrestlers in the state and, and absolutely destroyed the kid and pinned him. And I remember him coming and jumping into the stands in front of 13,000 people and hugging his mother. And what an incredible moment that was of everything coming around of, of Hunter having to wait and really get to a point of appreciating that moment of growing in Christ. Now this godly young man, here he is uh, becoming an all-state wrestler. And we have to remember that God is not just interested in the end. He's interested in the means. We say we use things as a means to an end. It's one of the failures that we see over and over again in the church and in relationships is that people want to hurry up and accomplish the task. And we have to understand God is there the entire time. He's very interested in how we accomplish that task. For what reason? What's the purpose of our heart? And he will never stop working on your heart, even if he's using you to do something really great. Now look at the relaunch of Promise Keepers. 
and all the delays and roadblocks that he's put in the way as he said, Ken, slow down. I've got other things going on that you don't know about. You just wait, you wait prayerfully here until I come back and get you. And it's a very difficult thing, especially for men to do, to learn to wait on the Lord. But he plays the long game. He plays the eternal game. For us, what's so important to get on immediately, God's like, slow down, my son. We have a, a whole thing to do here. I've got lots of pieces that I'm putting into place, lots of hearts to work on. I love everyone as much as I love you. And we're moving everybody together in my plan. And so you get ready to move quickly when I say, but sometimes what I'm saying is, you just wait on me. Moses needed to learn to wait. And when he jumped the gun, it was a long, long process before he was able to get to be the Moses that we understood. And by the way, Moses, you think about a man who was able to lead 2 million people, men, women, and children, out into a desert with no food, no water, no plant, with an army pursuing him. What a great man that was. Beyond human ability, he was led by the Lord. But look the process that it took for him to get through the amount of waiting. Are you and I willing to wait that much time to let God work on our soul so that we can be as effective? Jesus said, be faithful in little things, and then I'll give you great things to do. We talked in the last episode a little bit about that. We want to do great things. God, I want to change the world. God says, oh, fine, start with your house. You want to change the world? Start with your wife. Start with your kids. Start with the kid down the block. What about the single woman's son? What about your friend's buddy? I remember um, my son Coleman came home one time and said, there's this kid at school who seemed to be really hungry and, and Coleman would give him food once in a while and he would devour it. He said, yeah, mom, there's, there's something wrong with this kid. So Elliot, my godly wife of prayer said, you know, Coleman, get yourself invited over to that boy's house to sleep over and tell me what you see. So Coleman came home after that and said, I'm starving. Like there's no food in that house anywhere. There's nothing to eat. I don't ever want to go over there again. So what Elliot started to do was to pack Coleman two lunches and then some. And she said, Coleman, I want you every day at lunch to sit next to that boy and just tell him you have too much food to eat and could he help you out? Well, every day that kid would just devour the food that was actually packed for him. And then she started giving him even more food, more than they could eat, but whole bags of chips and you know all the stuff that you, so that he could have stuff to bring home to snack on. That's somebody who's got a love for God's people, who's prayerfully walking along and saying, how can I serve? Eliot, someone who's constantly in prayer, waiting on the Lord. How can I serve you today? So Jesus said, be faithful in little things and I'll give you much. Eliot was faithful in little things. How can I serve my son's friend? And now Eliot is faithful in much. She's known as this prayer warrior all around the community and people come to her. I think I've talked about this already in the past, but 11 o'clock at night, uh, people call. I, I, I couldn't go, go home the other day because uh, Elliot told me she had the house uh, full of women praying as somebody was going through a hardship. And so for two hours, I had to delay while these women were praying for this one lady. Faithful little things, and I'll give you other things to do. How are we faithful? And one of the reasons we have trouble waiting is because we do have that lack of faith. It's interesting because we say, well, I want more faith. God, give me more faith. Well, you know, the disciples asked Jesus, Teach us how to have more faith. And what did Jesus say? Let me read the exact story because I want to get the words exactly right. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the Lord said, you can, be, you can say to this mulberry tree, you be uprooted and planted the seed and it will obey you. Okay, so they say, how do you have more faith? And then Jesus says, well, 
faith is like this. If, if, if you had a little bit of faith, you could move objects around. Now he's going to say how to have faith. Which one of you, having a slave tending sheep or plowing, will say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? Instead, will he not tell him, prepare something for me to eat, get ready, and serve me while I eat and drink? Later, you can eat and drink. Does he thank that slave because he did what was commanded? In the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, we are good for nothing slaves. We've only done our duty. Oh, well, that doesn't sound like the normal attitude most of us have. So if we want to have more faith, if we want to be able to wait on the Lord, he says, work hard and don't get a thank you. And isn't that what we found in our experience, especially as pastors? How many of us toil and work and all we get is complaint? Sometimes I come home and my wife will say, man, you look tired. And I'm like, I'm just tired of being talked at all day. I just feel like I spend my entire day with people yapping and yapping and yapping. And so few of them. Uh, it will make a difference. They just want to talk about themselves constantly. I've had to learn to be discerning about who I invest my time in because I found, especially with needy men, there is a, an unending um, cavern of them speaking and they're not going to change their lives. It's one of the reasons why I'm not a pastor. I mean, I've often said, you know, if someone came to me for counseling and said, Pastor, I drink too much and it causes problems, and I would say, well, then stop drinking, stupid. Um, that's not really a pastor's heart. I guess I am more of a prophet's heart, but... Um, it's unbelievable, and you all know what I'm talking about there. If we want to have more faith, we need to have the attitude that I am good for nothing. We have to understand what we were saved from. I and myself have no value. I, when I'm filled with faith, when I'm a faithful witness, I have immense value. But that didn't come from me. That came from the Holy Spirit living through me. And how does that all happen? It starts with the heart. It starts with service. I'm serving God's people, knowing I'm not going to get a thank you. The Lord says definitely when you get done working in the fields, come in and serve me. And then when all that's been done, when everything's been handled, now you get to, to rest and take relaxation. That's how you build faith. It's not a requirement for salvation. It's letting us know how do we truly get the heart of Jesus Christ? How do we have that kind of faith that we've seen in those giants of the faith, the Hudson Taylors, the George Muellers? How do we get to be like Corey Ten Boom? We work. And we don't expect to thank you for it. You know, 1 Corinthians 2.15 says that the righteous man judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one. And I think we now are starting to see, as this is the second to last episode that we're going to handle, that we see that as a man of God pursues him with everything in him, as he learns to wait, as he learns to pray, as he learns to be in the fight, people, they can't judge that man of God. They have no idea to even understand where he's coming from. There's no... The thing to grab on to. Be, he becomes somebody who is um, an enigma to them. Like, well, who is this person? Well, how does he exist? How could he possibly be? And yet the man of God judges all things, that is, discerns all things, understands, begins to understand the heart of people. And this is where we're going in all this. As we now near the end, the next episode will be the last one we've seen, that as we become men of God, we start to become certain of who we are. We have an audience of one becomes a lot easier, not because we're not toiling every bit as much as we were before, but because now things start to become clearer. That you know, The Lord says we, we see this life at like like a through a glass darkly. Well, that dark light, that dark window starts to get a little bit lighter. We start to see more of things as they really are. The pride shells start to fall out of our eyes. We begin to see how things really become, but it's work. And a lot of it is waiting on the Lord. That attitude of, God, I trust you no matter what. 
I want to follow you no matter what. I may have a massive call in my life. Could anybody have a bigger call in their life than Moses? And yet, at the same time, I understand I, my job is to wait on you and wait on you to say when we go, not I say when we go. No matter how talented you are, no matter how much of a great speaker or a great writer or how much you're able to rally people around you, the most important thing you can know all of that is to wait on the Lord. And when he gives instructions in a humble and a faithful heart, then we go.